Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I am doing well. I have to tell y'all I'm reading Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. I mean, hello, where have I been? (laughs) I've seen people talk about it. uh, And for some crazy reason, I thought I'd read that book. um, But my library just got it. And I was like, Oh, wait, maybe I haven't read this. So I've been reading it and it's so good. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And so I wanted to throw that out there in case you are in need of a good book and you have not read that, or maybe if it's been years and years and years since you've read it, it'd be a good reread. I can see, I can picture myself reading it again down the road. Oh, so good. I just feel like such a dodo for taking this long to read it. And the other thing I feel like a complete dodo about is that last week when I was reporting my uh, my lab numbers, my follow-up lab numbers, I totally forgot to mention my other thyroid numbers. You know, I talked about my antibodies and how those had increased, and that was very disappointing. But I forgot to mention that uh, my TSH and my T4 improved, and that's pretty significant. My TSH came back um, within normal functional range, And my T4 came up a point. My reverse T3 came back within normal functional range also. Now my free T3 came back the same. That didn't budge. Um, So I still need to work on some on that. But I mean, the other numbers moved. And I'm pretty, you know, pretty happy with that with those improvements, you know, despite my antibody numbers increasing, um, but that those other numbers improved, you know, just with dietary measures. So I didn't take any, you know, thyroid supplements or anything like that. So I think that's kind of impressive. And I'm still going to be, you know, working on getting those antibody numbers down. Okay, so I wanted to mention that we are back this week to the Genesis prescription, prescribing ourselves the best foundational health practices as laid out in the Bible. This week's goal is to get 70 to 90 grams of animal sourced protein a day. At first, and I might have mentioned this earlier, I know that I put it in the Genesis prescription tracker if you printed that out. Um, I made that range 60 to 90, but I decided to raise the bar, yo. Okay, we're going to raise it up to 70 to 90, go a little higher. Um, This is also the week in the Christian Health Club that we do our Track Your Max Challenge track your macronutrients, which you know, I'm not a fan of talk about that quite frequently, just not a fan of it for myself. I think it's wonderful for those who want to do it, um, that don't mind doing it. But for me, it's so tedious, it makes me a little cray cray in the head, uh, which is why I created Feast to Fast without the need for tracking, you know, for people with personalities like me, who don't want to do it. You know, is it possible to eat well and maintain a healthy body weight without counting calories and tracking macronutrients? Absolutely. That's my jam. 
But that said, I do think it's smart to check in with yourself and to something like uh, my fitness pal or something like that, just to kind of see where you are, to make sure you're getting enough protein, to make sure you're not overdoing carbohydrates. And I think a few days of tracking really helps you tweak that, you know, reset your perceived portion sizes, whether those may need to go up or down. So I purposefully timed the Track Your Max Challenge uh, in the Christian Health Club this week since we're focusing on animal foods because I think many of us, especially women, don't get enough protein. I will actually let me refine that to say don't get enough usable, impactful protein, which come from animal based foods. Of the three macronutrients, protein is the one that will keep you the most full, help you lose weight, uh, make your body composition more lean and fit, you know, and when you combine targeted protein with strength training, it's just absolutely magical for the shape and the health of your body. Getting enough protein is so important in keeping our holy temples healthy. So that is why we are focusing on this goal this week. Um, And I would definitely shoot for the higher end of that, you know, closer to 90, especially if you have weight loss goals, or you're just looking to, um, you know, lean up your body, um, put on some muscle. In fact, uh, many professionals recommend that you eat one gram of protein per pound of your target weight. So like if your target weight is 130 pounds, you eat 130 grams of protein. Now, let me tell you, that is a lot of protein. And that requires a lot of planning and diligence. I don't think it's a bad idea um, to do for a while if you want to jumpstart your weight loss goal. Um, You know, I talked about my carnivorous experiment last week and how, you know, I did lose some weight and how eating more meat just, you know, really took away the sugar cravings. And um, so, yeah, I, th- I don't think it's a bad idea to do that if, if you want to do that. But I don't think you have to eat, you know, that much um, to see some really great changes in your body. If you will shoot for that higher end of the 70 to 90 grams, I think you will really see some good results. But I do like to tell people about that recommendation of, you know, a, a gram of protein per pound of targeted body weight, because then it seems like, you know, 90 doesn't seem quite as much, doesn't seem so hard. So that's that. Um, So that's our goal this week. And, um, you know, obviously, like we're saying here, I I mean this to come from animal based protein, you know, plant based protein is not nearly um, as efficient when it comes to your body and being able to use it in it, you know, and it comes with a, a big load of carbs, you have to eat a heck of a lot of beans to get the same protein that you get from a piece of beef or chicken or fish. So that adds a lot more carbs into your day. Um, and plus, it increases the potential that nobody's going to want to be around you. Okay. <laughs> if you have not listened to the podcast I did called Why You Need More Protein, please go listen to that. Even if you have listened to it, it is a good refresher. I will link to it in the show notes, plus the book that I referenced in that podcast, uh, The Search for the Perfect Protein. Um, where we go into, you know, more of the science and amino acid utilization, which is really important. The word protein, though, I always like to look these up um, because I'm a, a word nerd. But the word protein originates from the Greek word proteos, which means primary or holding the first place. You know, and I love that because proteins really are the primary substance that hold our body together, hold it in place. They are the building blocks of our body. We need protein for growth and repair. We need it to make enzymes, 
which are involved in every single function of the body. We need protein to make hormones, antibodies. We need protein to make all of our cells. Um, we need protein. We need, uh, there are 22 amino acids in protein, you know, that our body needs. But of those 22, only eight are classified as essential. And they are called essential amino acids because they can only be obtained from food. It is essential that you eat these good proteins for your body. And your body can manufacture the remaining amino acids from the essential eight. You know, as long as you are getting them in the right amount and ratios and have the cofactor vitamins and minerals needed for synthesization. Okay. It kind of feels like the stars need, need to be aligned there. But as long as you are getting a good, uh, you know, a nice amount of animal uh, based protein, you're going to make that happen. Okay. Um, plant foods have protein too, like I said, but you know, it's just not the robust presence of the essential amino acids in the right quantity and ratios for optimal utilization. Um, and again, you're just going to take on such a huge carbohydrate load to get the same amount of protein that you would more easily and efficiently get from, you know, a small piece of meat. So you're going to be taking on a lot more calories too. And I don't like lower calories, you know, we like energy, but you're going to be taking on a lot of uh, carbohydrate energy, um, when you could be taking in a lot less energy and getting more bang for your buck. Animal foods offer us our best, most efficient and bioavailable protein. And that's why it is our Genesis prescription goal this week. So let's start where we always do, which is in the Bible. Genesis 9.3 says, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So the question is, why did God wait until after the flood to approve animal foods for us to eat? There's a lot of speculation on this, okay? Um, but a lot of people believe that we should be sticking to plants because that was God's original provision. But for whatever reason, and I'm sure it was a good one, he did decide to allow us animal sources of food as well. And I think we can take him at his word, his literal word that these are intended to be a part of our diet. You know, I've, I feel like I've become sort of a champion of promoting animal foods, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> but, you know, it's because a lot of Christians assume that we should be vegetarians because plants were the first foods that God gave us, you know, and we are in a very plant-centric dietary space. And I just feel like somebody needs to be here reminding you that God did give us animal foods and he even specified which ones. You know, and the fact that they are so important to our health, our, you know, our weight, our body composition, our nutrient provision, um, important on a cellular level, just so many aspects of our health. I just am going to be here reminding you um, again and again, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to recap um, something that Dr. Minkoff said in that book, The Search for the Perfect Protein. I have uh, read this a few times to you, but I think it's so powerful to hear. He says in that book, and let's keep in mind that Dr. Minkoff was a vegetarian who turned omnivore, you know, and has um, helped his patients overcome a myriad of health problems by getting the, them to eat more protein. So in that book, he says, all people with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome are protein malnourished. All depressed people and people with anxiety are protein malnourished. All osteoporotic patients with are protein malnourished. All patients with cancer are protein malnourished. 
all patients with autoimmune diseases like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis are protein malnourished. All patients with sleep disorders are protein malnourished. All Parkinson's patients are protein malnourished. All Alzheimer's dementia patients are protein malnourished. I mean, if that doesn't wake you up, (laughs) I don't know what will. So um, that is really, really important. um, And why I'm just going to be here reminding you again, again, that God gave us meat to eat and that we should take him up on that. Now, we just don't know why that he didn't give it to us till after the flood. Um, It was, you know, kind of part of the new covenant package. Um, But, you know, as with all these subjects each week, you know, I find rabbit holes to go down when I'm kind of looking for the answers. You know, some people say that the floor of the earth was inferior after the flood and that Noah and his family, you know, came out of the ark to a barren world with not much to subsist on and needed another option for nourishment. So maybe that was a reason. Some say man was weaker after the flood as evidenced by the shorter lifespan that we see um, after the flood and, you know, that they needed, we needed stronger sustenance. Um, You know, people said, well, man was spreading out further across the earth and needed more options. So these are all kinds of reasons and speculations that people have. But again, we just don't, we really don't know for sure. We're going to have to ask God when we get there. Um, But a lot of people believe that God will reinstate a plant-based diet when Jesus comes back. Um, And there are a few verses in the Bible that people reference um, for this theory. One is from Isaiah 11, 6 and 7, which says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. So uh, the lion will not be eating meat. He will be eating straw. Um, Okay, and then also this verse from Revelation 21.4, which says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So both of these verses, you know, give us this vision of a peaceable kingdom that kind of harkens back to the Garden of Eden Eden times, you know, before death entered the world. I'd never heard of this theory, you know, that we might be going back uh, vegetarian or plant-based until I read the Left Behind series last year. I talked about that. And it's, it's this great and interesting fictional but biblically based account of Revelation and what that is going to look like. And um, the characters in that book reverted to a vegetarian way of eating after Jesus came back. And it was so fascinating to me. You know, it made me go look up these verses and just this whole concept. I was like, wow, I just love when I read something like that, which is entertaining and I learn something and it makes me think more critically, you know, and get into my Bible. Just I love that. Um, okay, so not only did God give us meat to eat, right? Genesis 9, 3. He even specified what kind, which, you know, I think lends even more evidence to the case for eating meat. So um, in, a lit- in Leviticus, um, you know, he we read all about kind of these food rules that he gives the Israelites. And his first meat rule says, you may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. Animals that chew the cud are known as ruminants, and ruminant animals include cattle, deer, sheep, goats, antelope, bison, buffalo, moose, and elk. Now, ruminants are herbivores, which means they're plant eaters, 
um, and they have a special digestive system that helps them detoxify and break down plant matter into vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and fatty acids that are made available to us through their meat. It takes ruminants much longer to process food than non-ruminant animals because they have this multi-chambered digestive system. It takes closer to like 24 hours to digest, whereas like a pig, which is a monogastric animal, which means they have one stomach, and that's what we are. We are a monogastric animal. Um, it only takes four hours to digest. Now, I, I covered this a, in a lot of detail, um, more about this in the podcast I did called Should We Eat Pork and Shellfish? But I have a feeling that a lot of you didn't listen to that. And the reason that I know this is because a lot of my friends <laughs> straight up told me, I'm not listening to that. And I get it because uh, who wants to hear that bacon and lobster may not be the best things to be eating. Um, I get that 100%. But I did share some pretty fascinating information and went to a, into more detail in that podcast. And so if you're interested, you can hop over there and listen to it. Um, but you know, really, it just kind of boils down to that uh, these ruminants have this more thorough and intricately formed digestive system that allows them more time for toxic and pathogenic material to be destroyed. And that we as humans not only reap the benefit of that more intense cleansing process, um, but we just get access to so much more plant nutrition um, by way of the animal as the intermediary. You know, there's a lot of plants and grasses on the earth that humans cannot eat, right? But these ruminant animals can, and they break them down, process them, detoxify, and ultimately pass on that nutrition to us. The earth nourishes the animal, and the animal in turn nourishes us, and it is the beautiful and efficient design of our creator, so very cool. Um, Psalm 104.14 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. So God not only created the perfect food for us, he created the perfect food for the animals too. And just like humans are healthier, when we eat our God-given diet, so are animals and it's important for us to source our food from animals that ate their ultimate diet so that we can get the most from ours. Increased animal health increases the benefits of our food. I was listening to a nutritional scientist on a podcast. His name's Dr. Stefan Van Vliet. Um, and he's doing research on how the nutrient profile of meat and milk changes depending on um, on what the animal eats and how it's raised. There are studies showing that we get a healthy dose of phytochemicals from the meat and milk of grass-fed animals like cattle, sheep, and goats, but that those phytochemicals are significantly reduced when those animals are switched to grain. Now, of those three animals, we're probably mostly eating more cattle than we are sheep and goats. Um, and for sure, you know, most beef that you buy in the store is grain-fed. Now, they all start out as grass-fed, okay? They all start out as grass-fed. But then most cattle are taken to feedlots to fatten up on corn and soy. And sadly, it's genetically modified corn and soy. So um, they are removed from their natural diet and habitat, transferred to feedlots for like the last six months of their life to fatten up. And this changes the nutritional profile of their meat 
not necessarily the protein content, the amino acids, but it does shift their fatty acids to more omega-6s than omega-3s. So corn and soy are high in omega-6 fatty acids. And the thing is that we get way too many omega-6s in our modern diet, which is problematic for our health. Too many omega-6s and not enough omega-3 fatty acids leads to serious inflammation, okay? Um, and it, it's a problem at a cellular level, which means it's an entire body problem, <laughs> okay? And it also really, really negatively impacts our brain health. Part of this imbalanced ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s that is so common in our modern diet but did not used to be is due to the increase of corn and soy being in everything, in packaged foods, um, used as oils. So corn and soybean oils um, are in so many things. Those are two of the the big, you know, those vegetable seed oils that, you know, I'm always warning you against. And plus, you know, um, the omega, the corn and soy is fed um, to so many of our animals. Okay. Um, Cattle, chicken, even fish, you know, farmed fish are often fed corn and soy. Uh, Yeah. Doesn't that sound like natural fish food to you? (laughs) Um, No, it's not. So, you know, again, when our animals aren't eating what they're meant to eat, they're more inflamed which leads to more illness and need for medication, and it makes us more inflamed. So our intake of omega-6 fatty acids has skyrocketed over the last 50 to 75 years, which has made our inflammation and illness and disease skyrocket as well. We are not getting enough omega-3 fatty acids to counteract the inflammation of the omega-6 fatty acid. And feeding these grains to our animals is making us you know, get even less omega-3s. But when we eat cattle that are 100% grass-fed, okay, um, like I said, they all start out that way, but they don't end that way. So you have to look for 100% grass-fed or grass-finished. And those cattle have more omega-3 fatty acids and a better ratio. But I thought it was interesting how uh, Dr. Van Vliet was talking about the presence of more phytochemicals in grass-fed meat and milk. Because when we think of phytochemicals, we think plants. I mean, phyto means plants. And we talked about this during plant week, you know, plant week, um, when we talked about eating the rainbow of fruits and vegetables because they're rich in these phytochemicals that are antioxidants and neutralize the free radical free radicals that com, you know cause damage to our cells and you know rapidly age us. So, you know, what Dr. Van Vliet is saying and finding research on is that we can get these beneficial compounds, plant compounds from our meat. But, you know, this makes sense considering how ruminants, which God said to eat, can turn all of this grass and plant matter that we cannot use into usable nutrition that is so good for us. Now, I mean, that is what is so cool. I mean, the way that God just, you know, I just orchestrates all of this, you know, orchestrates our bodies to work in relation to creation. It's just so fascinating and so very cool. Um, So in this podcast that I listened to with Dr. Van Vliet, and I I will link it in the show notes in case any of you are interested in hearing it. You know, it's kind of nutrition nerdy, but I know a lot of you are like that and like to um, dig in more to the science of it. Um, 
But there's also a study suggesting that grass-fed meat is also higher in um, thiamine, thiamine um, and riboflavin, which are vitamins B1 and B2. Okay, they're, they're higher in grass-fed meat than grain-fed meat. And those are two really important vitamins that people are often deficient in. Um, he also talked about a study on um, pecorino cheese. I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm probably destroying that, which comes from sheep milk and um, compared the grass-fed and the grain-fed, you know, and the grass-fed, you know, had more higher anti-inflammatory properties, okay? So he just kind of talked about some some different studies. There was a study with kangaroo meat. This is kind of a weird study because it was compari- comparing uh, grass-fed kangaroo meat to Wagyu beef, which I'm like, oh, that's not the same kind of meat. But, you know, the kangaroo meat came out, you know, way better with um, – because it was grass-fed with, you know, these these better nutrients, these these bioavailable nutrients and such, um, than the Wagyu beef, which is, you know, really, it's known for, it's, you know, just like <laughs> really shoving that, shoving that feed down there to fatten up. So it's just, but I, I it was like, that's kind of, I don't think that's a really great study. Anyway. He talks about that one too. He talks about all kinds of studies. So anyway, I think there will be more and more um, of those kind of studies done, hopefully a little bit (laughs) more targeted um, instead of comparing kangaroo and wagyu beef. But anyway, I think more information is going to come out. Um, But, you know, I think it's just common sense, really, that animals that eat their God-given diet are going to get better nutrition and that when we eat meat or drink the milk or eat cheese from these animals that we are going to get better nutrition, okay? Um, now speaking of milk, um, cow, sheep, and goat, meat and milk were all part of life in biblical times. So I remember the story in Genesis when the three visitors showed up to tell Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a baby and Sarah laughed because she was like 90. Do you remember that? And God wasn't happy. (laughs) God was not happy when she did that. But anyway, the three visitors come. And when they arrived, um, the story always cracks me up because Abraham was like, Sarah, hurry and make some bread. And then he took a calf to the servant and was like, hurry, make some meat. And I'm just like, I mean, how quickly can you crank out fresh bread and meat from a live animal? You know, in biblical times especially. So I always thought I just kind of get a chuckle out of that. But this verse um, from Genesis 18.8 also says um, that he served as guest curds and milk. It says, he brought out some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So, you know, this is a, a very animal rich meal. They're having... Um, the meat from the calf, the curds and the milk, and they're having it with some bread. Now, the word curd in the Bible could have meant butter or cheese. Uh, Milk products were commonly used in biblical times and considered a good source of nutrition. Now, obviously, there was no refrigeration happening and fresh milk could not be stored for long without spoiling. But guess what? A little spoilage didn't scare our Bible brothers and sisters. You know, they, they rolled with it and they figured out how to utilize it and appreciate it in its thick, sour, and curdled forms. In the book, Everyday Life in Old Testament Times, um, author E.W. Heaton says this, and I quote, since water was scarce and not very palatable, a good deal of milk was drunk. 
As soon as the fresh milk was put into the goatskin bottle, it thickened slightly and went sour. All the better, it was thought, for quenching the thirst. So they stored milk in either uh, goatskin bottles or clay jars, and the milk would sour and separate into curds and whey. And I know what you're thinking. Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet, eating her curds and whey. (laughs) Of course, when you're little, you're like, what are curds and whey? Um, And you may not even know that now. But when the milk separates, the liquidy part is is the whey, and then the curds are the the fatty part. So that separates. Um, And the Israelites would have used the separate components to make things like butter, cheese, yogurt, and this buttermilk-like drink called Laban. And so much of this was naturally fermented and would have been such a good source of probiotics. And I just think, you know, man, the microbiome of people in biblical times would have been so healthy with all of the real food they ate, being outside all of the time, not being exposed to the thousands upon thousands of toxins and chemicals, you know, like we are today. And, you know, it's just so interesting that they ate a lot of bread um, and a lot of these homemade and fermented dairy products, and they ate a lot of grains, you know, lentils, beans. These were all significant staples of their diet. I mean, they also eat meat and fresh fruit and veggies as available, you know, and herbs and spices. We talked about all that. But when they didn't have access to the, you know, these fresh foods or meat, they relied on bread, grains, and some of these dairy products. And their guts could handle it. Our guts are in a much more compromised position because of all of the, you know, processed food and antibiotics and environmental toxins that we are exposed to today. But their food was clean and prepared in a way that optimized nutrition, you know? They weren't like, oh, I should let this milk sit out and ferment because it will be high in probiotics and that will be good for my gut. (laughs) No, it was out of total necessity. You know, they didn't have refrigeration. They couldn't let food go to waste. They had to be resourceful and inventive. Inventive. Um, And so between the clean sourced food, you know, and the way they prepared foods, you know, grinding fresh, unadulterated wheat, soaking their lentils, fermenting their dairy. Yeah, they ate a lot of these foods that today were like, oh, you shouldn't eat breads and grains and dairy. They're not good for you. But that's not an accurate contextual picture. You know, the truth is, number one, our ingredients today, you know, our foods are so compromised, the quality of them. Number two, we don't prepare them in a way that optimizes uh, the nutrition or digestion. And three, our guts are so wrecked in modern times that we, we really can't handle these foods as well. You know, and just for instance, their dairy is a far cry from the low fat, pasteurized, processed product that we see in our grocery stores today. I mean, people pick up a little container of, you know, like low fat, strawberry flavored Yo Play and think they're going to get healthy, a healthy probiotic food. And I'm just like, smack my head emoji. (laughs) No, that is not healthy for you. It's had all the goodness stripped out of it and colors and flavors added to it that are not good for you. You know, Bible people were eating dairy that came straight from the animal in its raw, full fat form. And today we're scared of both. You know, you know what I'm going to say here. So say it with me. God did not make cows with low fat udders. You know, milk 
comes out of the animal with all of its glorious fat-soluble vitamins and enzymes intact. And it can be such a healthful food, but we process it to death, like literally to death. And then we add a bunch of junk to it and then wonder why so many people are allergic to it or can't handle, you know, dairy. Years and years ago, I was able to get raw dairy from a lady here and it was like this big secret. You know, we had to keep it on the DL because she could have gotten in trouble for selling it. I mean, raw milk is illegal um, in a lot of states where you have to have a, you know, license and all of these things. But anyway, she was just doing it kind of on the side. Um, and she had, you know, a handful of customers and she just had this fridge in her garage and she would leave the containers of milk in there. And, you know, I'd go buy them, pick up a couple containers, leave money in the box and then return the containers next time and go come back for more. It was just so awesome. Uh, those were really good days. And when we used to drink raw milk and my husband who couldn't normally tolerate milk could drink that with no problem. And the cream, oh my gosh, would rise to the top and it was just so good. Um, and I can't remember what happened. I think her cow stopped producing or something, but it sure was good while it lasted. That's been a long time ago and I haven't been able to find another source. Um, if you live out in my area and you know someone, let me know because I, I would be interested in that. You know, like I said, raw milk is illegal in many states and you do have to be careful. You know, you want to get it from a trusted source, but if you can find one of those, get it and try it and see if it works for you. Otherwise, when it comes to dairy, you want to buy the highest quality that you can find. Grass-fed if possible. You know, I can't get that where I am. Um, and if you can't either, then at least buy organic, full-fat dairy. Organic, full-fat dairy. Okay, and grass-fed if you can. The best yogurt that I can find is organic, full-fat Greek yogurt. And that's even hard to find. Because, I mean, I can find organic, uh, low-fat yogurt and, and Greek yogurt, but it's it's hard to find, you know, it made from whole milk. But we're seeing that more as um, people are getting less scared of fat in the diet. Thank goodness. Um, but I do like the Greek yogurt because it's higher in protein. Um, and, you know, I, I buy yogurt plain um, usually um, and then add honey or berries to it, something like that. I know last week I told you I think I might be, you know, dairy might be a problem for me, but I'm I'm just like I'm determined not to let it be. Like, you know, like I'm not receiving that. I don't receive that. <laughs> um, but we'll see. I think if you get your gut right enough, you can handle dairy. But most people aren't willing to work on their guts or they don't know they need to work on their guts or don't realize that gut work is really ongoing work. Um, but I'm here for it cuz I'm here for the cheese. Sheep, goat, cow, just give me all the cheese. I love it. Um, you know, but we should be looking to our biblical brothers and sisters and the fact that, you know, they weren't scared of of raw, of fat, uh, and even a little sour milk. You know, they drank and ate these soured, curdled, tart, fermented dairy products. And yes, uh, they may have added some honey or date syrup or something like that to sweeten it up. But that sour and tart, flavor of fermented or cultured products, you know, when you taste that, that's when you know you've hit the probiotic mother load. <laughs> and quite frankly, we're a bunch of wusses today when it comes to tolerating that, um, what my East Texas raised mama would call a wang, you know, like that, like that real yogurt and kefir, um, authentic made stuff. I mean, it's definitely got a wang, you know, it's kind of that sour tartness. Um, but I would encourage you to, to, to try to get over that. Um, if you do, 
eat dairy, you know, again, just find it in its purest, healthiest form and include fermented dairy um, because of all the probiotic benefits. And it's also more digestible and makes the nutrients within it more bioavailable, which, you know, again, means easier for your body to actually use and process. So don't be afraid of the, the tartness and the sourness. You just kind of have to train your tongue to it. Okay, um, before we go, just a few more meaty things to discuss here. I'm not going to go into fish and seafood today. One, because I already did that in the podcast, you know, uh, should we eat pork and shellfish? I went into uh, seafood more. And I just, you know, there's not a lot of stigma, actually, when it comes to eating fish. So even some, you know, vegetarians include fish and eggs. So I, I just don't think we have... I think more people are open to that. And at some point, I'm probably going to do a podcast on fish and fish oil and go into that whole subject. Today, I just really wanted to focus on meat and especially red meat because it gets such a bad rap. But man, it's so nutritious for you. And I know I'm a little biased because I'm married to a a cattle rancher. But y'all, that's no accident. You know, I know that God put us together and purposefully plucked me out of the big city and plopped me onto a cattle ranch. Um, and that's where the first stirrings of my connection to, to real food started. I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for that. And once I read in the Bible that God gave us meat and then was so specific about what kind, which included red meat, like beef, I mean, that just shut down the whole argument for me, you know? And so I just feel like truly it's, you know, something I'm meant to bring to people's attention. Um, and it's not just about beef. It's about all the ruminant meat. You know, moving to the ranch also taught me about eating wild game like deer. That's what a lot of people do around here. And I I know a lot of people in the city, you know, they come out to the, um, go to ranches and have leases um, on the weekends and they, they shoot deer and they fill their freezer with that good wild game meat. Um, And that's so good for you as well. In Genesis 27, you know, we read about um, when Isaac asks his son Esau to go out and hunt him some wild game. And so Esau takes his bow and arrow to do that. And in the meantime, Rebecca schemes with Jacob and makes him some goat instead. And, uh, you know, passes both the meal off and the son um, off to Jacob, kind of tricks him so that, uh, I mean, to, to Isaac so that Jacob can receive the benefit of his dad's blessing. Um, but um, so that's kind of, you know, just an example of um, of hunting wild game. Um, the Israelites would have also eaten you know, birds such as pigeons, turtle doves, ducks, geese, quail, and partridge. In fact, remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness complaining of no meat and God was like, oh yeah, you want meat? I'll show you some meat. And he just, you know, overloaded them with quail. Um, but he ha- he did have some speci- specifications about what kind of birds they could eat, poultry. You know, he said, of the birds, the following ones must not be eaten. The eagle, the vulture, the kite, the falcon, the raven, the owl, the hawk, the osprey, the stork, the heron, the hopi, and the bat. You know, I just, again, I don't think any of us have a problem, you know, skipping eating bats or vultures. <laughs> Typically not a problem. And um, we don't see eggs mentioned really too much in the Bible, but they were likely eating eggs from ducks and geese and quail. One of the more uh, famous Bible verses when it comes to eggs is kind of an indirect um, indication, and it comes from Luke 11, 11 and 12. It says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
you know, touche. Um, and I think that's a good place to bring this to a close because we know that our father is our mighty provider and that he gives us good things, including good food. And I know a lot of people consider, uh, you know, the food laws that we read about in the Old Testament to be, you know, quote unquote, Jewish or outdated or canceled by Jesus who proclaimed all foods clean. You know, we know that we are not bound by dietary food laws, okay? Nor can the way that we eat come between us and the Lord. We remain spiritually spiritual clean no matter what we eat. But I also don't think we should overlook God's gold standard, you know, his gold star dietary advice. The Bible says that God doesn't change. And surely he had good reasons for being so specific about what food to eat. I don't think that Jesus was saying that all of God's top picks were now null and void. I think he was saying, you know, food has no bearing on your salvation. You know, it says in a... In 1 Corinthians 8, 8, food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. Okay, so um, it's not about being bound by dietary food laws or anything like that. I just don't think we want to completely ignore God's dietary advice. You know, the maker of our bodies made the perfect food for our bodies. And he specifically tells us which foods are best for us to eat. The more we stick to clean plant and animal foods, the healthier we will be. Our prescription for good health is found you know, right here in his word. These are the meats that God said to eat. He is the master nutritionist and there's just no better dietary advice to follow than his. So as you are including more animal-based protein this week, whether it comes from, you know, the ruminant animals or um, the poultry, the bird foods or fish. Remember how the word protein originates from the word proteos, which means primary or holding the first place. And so as you are going through this week, eating more protein, keep the Lord, our mighty provider in the first place in your life because he is our essential nutrient. He is the primary substance that holds us together in spirit, mind, and body. And just give thanks and praise for the blessing of his generous provision, which just keeps us healthy and strong. All right, my friend, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.